Unofficial Bengals Podcast. Welcome to the Unofficial Bengals Podcast. This is your host, Frank LaPlaca, and I'm a Bengals fan for life. All right, this episode is going to be a review of the Falcons game and a preview of the Monday night matchup against the Cleveland Browns. What's up, guys? This is Evan McPherson, and you're listening to the Unofficial Bengals Podcast. Cincinnati Bengals fans, I would like to introduce Frank LaPlaca. 481 yards passing, three touchdowns, a rushing touchdown, a ton of quality throws of all sorts. Joe Burrow is hitting his stride, and the rest of the league better be on alert. All right, before we get started with this episode, I know I've been away for the last three weeks and you haven't heard any podcasts from me, and that's very unlike me during the regular season. And, uh, you know, I'm back. And don't think I wasn't watching every snap in the meantime. I saw the statement win against the Dolphins. I mean, that two a hit was bad. And we were talking about that the week before, how he should have never went back in that other game. And here he is taking that massive hit from Tupo and really ugly stuff. But Cincinnati, you know, handled those guys, made a statement win against at the time the Dolphins were the top of the AFC next game we have that kind of sleepwalk game against the Ravens and you see us come back at the end in typical Burrow hero fashion but unfortunately left a little bit too much time on the clock and you know what Justin Tucker can do from pretty much anywhere on the field so we fell victim to that hey you know if it would have been a different circumstance that would have been Evan McPherson you know kicking a 50 plus yarder to win the game in this case it didn't quite work out but we went punch for punch with the Ravens and it looks like we're going to be the better team this year so you know no harm no foul we're still tied in first place with those guys and then last week it was hero ball against the Saints you had Burrow to chase to win the game at the end just total magic great moments I wish I was there for all of those moments with you guys but I am back. The unofficial Bengals podcast is here, ready to go for the future, and I won't be leaving you again unless something really major happens in my life. All right, so let's go over some news really quickly. Jamar Chase with the hip flexor. You know, I saw that in the Saints game. I saw it in the end zone. I know he kind of held his hamstring, and I think that might have been more of a joke, but I saw him limp away after that touchdown, and I didn't know how publicized it was because I wasn't really keeping tabs with social media or much news that week. But I was like, man, for the, for once in his career, Jamar Chase looks like something happened. And, you know, you saw it this week. He was on the injury report before the Falcons game. And then right before the half, he ends up coming out of the Falcons game. I don't think it's anything too damaging or anything too long-term. But, you know, it's a shame to see one of the best players on your roster banged up. And, you know, I'm wishing him a speedy recovery. Then you have Trey Hendrickson getting the stinger. So hopefully that's just a week-long injury and nothing past that. Lyle Collins continues to have problems with the back. He came out of this game for a few snaps. You know, I saw Adenogy in there, and I'm like, what happened? And, you know, it was Collins going in and out of the lineup, but he ended up finishing the game and had a, had a very good game against the Falcons. And, of course, prior to this, this is a little bit older news, but Logan Wilson with the shoulder injury, you know, that's I'm hoping that that shoulder just doesn't become a recurring issue with him. He's not going to miss that much time, but when you re-injure that same shoulder it is a little bit of an, an alarm for us fans, and I'm hoping that he's going to be okay there. We also saw Khalid Kareem get waived and brought back to the practice squad. We saw Tyler Shelvin get activated and get a few snaps this past week. Clay Johnston came up. Joe Bocci came back. So those are some transactions that have transpired over the last few weeks that I wanted to catch up on. And then you have Burrow with the most 400-yard passing games at this early in a career, so that's a nice record to set. 
and then you know Burrow with the 9,000 yards, one of the fastest players to ever hit that, and Chase with the 2,000 yards, one of the fastest players to ever hit that. So these two guys are on pace for Hall of Fame careers and multiple Super Bowls, and I just can't wait to be there for that ride. Week 7 review, Cincinnati Bengals 35, Atlanta Falcons 17. All right, let's start off with some observations from the game. This was actually a game that I was going to go to. I was supposed to meet up with Sands and Justin Lacey and Tom McLevy was going to come out, and we ended up canceling right before the season started. But this would have been a great game to go to because you get the 481 yards by Burrow, an historic game for him, and then you have 75-degree weather. It just would have been the perfect game to go to. Unfortunately, I didn't, but here we are. The crowd was loud on those third downs. I was really happy that we're getting that home field advantage. We won the toss and took the ball first. That was good. We wanted to get some momentum. We know that the Falcons are a team that runs the ball a lot, so we didn't want eight minutes to go by in the first quarter before we even saw the ball. And as a result, this worked out very well. A few plays into the game, we're up 7 nothing, and we're never to look back. So excellent decision there. Glad it worked out for us. And on to this seven-game streak with not allowing a touchdown in the second half. That is just amazing. That's amazing out of the players, but that's Lou Anarumo with those halftime adjustments and the coaching. You know, don't think he's not going to get some offers to be a head coach somewhere after this kind of start. That is that is really coaching. When you come out of the locker room and shut down teams for every game this year, just, just great stuff. He's really hitting his stride as a coach. And Coach Taylor, with, with the play calling, I know a lot of people out there are up and down on his play calling, but uh, you know the, the halftime adjustments out of both of these guys are winning games and a big reason why we went to the Super Bowl last year, and you're seeing them even expand upon those efforts this year. And speaking of play calling, we weren't afraid to go five wide. The Falcons don't have an amazing pass rush, and they're not a major blitzing team. You know, you saw them bring a few guys off the edge, but there wasn't a lot of exotic blitzes. So this was just your four defensive linemen against our five offensive linemen. And if our guys hold up, we can have five receivers in the pattern, and Joe Burrow can carve you up. And it ended up happening this game. It ended up working out really well for us. Now, one thing I disagreed on the coaching staff with was when Jamar Chase was limping and he comes back in the second half, I know you kind of needed him just to kind of establish the win, but as the game went on and you're getting in the late third quarter, fourth quarter, I would have pulled him because all week we're going to be talking about how he has an extra day's rest before the Browns game. You know, you don't want to mess around with him, one of the most important players, and this would have been a chance to sit him down for at least a quarter, maybe a quarter and a half, and get ahead of that rest schedule, and I don't know, I just thought it was a little risky if the game is in the bag and he's a little banged up, and it's it's the Falcons, Mariota wasn't throwing well, this wasn't a game that they were going to come back in, I think this would have been the time to pull Chase, and I was even feeling that with Mixon at the end, Mixon came alive at the end of this game, but I was like, he's taking a lot of pounding out there, this might be a time to to take him out and let Pirine and, and Chris Evans get some carries in there and preserve Mixon a little bit. And you know what? If, I'm going to go down the list. Even the same thing with Higgins, you know, battling the ankle injury and Collins battling the back injury. So those four guys, I would have pulled them a little bit later in the game just to give them some extra rest. The coaching staff didn't do that. I'm just hoping that these in- injuries don't linger because this would have been a good chance to, you know, start getting ahead of those injuries. And on to the Falcons. Mariota can't throw. And he wasn't the same after Bates hit him. Bates hit him, what, midway through the third quarter when he did that scramble on the outside. 
and Bates got him like in the lower body, and you could just tell. I mean, my Mariota toughed it out, went to the bench, fine, but I know that he was hurting, and he just didn't seem as eager to run after that, and seemed like he slowed down a little bit. But that's a troublesome offense, and you see it with Kyle Pitts, you know, getting nine yards receiving and having a, a lackluster year because they're not throwing the ball, and it doesn't look like Mariota can really lead a, a dominant passing offense. It's mostly runs, and and it showed. You know, he had one nice deep pass and a couple decent throws, but for the most part, not too impressed with him as a, as a throwing quarterback. And if you look at it this year, we're 4-3, and three, and we really haven't faced any great quarterbacks except Lamar Jackson, and we held him to 19 points, say that's a good effort there. So it's a little bit misleading when you see our high defensive rankings. We haven't faced too many star quarterbacks, and we're going to in the second half of the year, so we're going to get tested, and we're going to be able to prove that we're a good defense. But as of now, we've been lucky. It's mostly been backups and and guys that aren't on in the top tier of the league, so you know, take it for what it's worth. I hope when we play the Mahomeses and the Allens that we do the same job on them. Back to the Falcons, their secondary was decimated. So another reason why you're able to throw for 480 and, you know, have three receivers almost get 100 yards each. And I mean, it was, Burrow probably could have done that against anybody at the time. He was so on, but, you know, you just want to take another look at it that the Falcons really don't have a good pass rush and they had nobody on the back end, so it was a little bit easier. And, you know, the stats might be a little misleading on how dominant the stats were because of the injuries that they had, but I'm not complaining. You know, I'm not saying that out loud. I'm telling you guys that. Don't worry. I want the rest of the world to know that Joe Burrow just lit it up and Jamar Chase and Tyler Boyd and Higgins and Hurst and everybody just lit it up. And then the big thing is, you know, you want to score before the half. You want to score right out of the half. So what happens, we score with 49 seconds left, and then a crazy turn of events, we end up giving up 10 points to them in the last 39 seconds of the half. So that's a recipe to lose the game, but with the way this defense is playing and the way our offense was playing, that wasn't going to happen. So the traditional formula on how you lose a game did not bite us this time, and in the first drives of the second half, neither team scored, so that's a moot point right there. And we had a clever last play with Hurst with that direct snap. So they send Hayden Hurst in motion, and all of a sudden he gets under center, gives a loud bark, gets a defender to jump, and now we can run out the clock and down the ball. So very clever on the coaching staff's part. I might want to see that play not just in a draw off sides fashion. That might be a clever thing to do if we need a yard here and there. You know, he's a tenacious runner, takes a snap from under center and bulls forward. You never know. That I'd probably like to see that more than I'd like to see Burrow you know, getting jammed up there in that mix as well. And then something totally unrelated, and this goes back to a game or two ago where there was 12 men on the field, and this is just something I wanted to vent about. I don't I don't think I like 12 men on the field anymore. Yeah, if you have 12 guys in, the, in formation and lined up, I get you, that should be a penalty. But if you have a guy just running off the field, almost like in hockey where they're changing lines and, you know, not sometimes there's guys entering and guys haven't act, exited yet, those kind of things... That's that's I don't know if that's the true essence of the rule. Twelve men, yeah, you don't want them to have an extra defender. But if it's, if it's just like, hey, we're gonna race to snap it before you know one of your bigger guys can sprint off the field. I don't know. That's I think the league should take a look at that. And you know, if if you're not in formation and you're and you're out of the way and heading off, if you have one foot on the field when it's snapped, I, the ref should maybe let that go. I'm not trying to rewrite the rules of the NFL. It was just something that I thought about. Yeah, just just riffing. Just wanted to throw that out there. 
All right, so back to the game. Game flow. We jump out to a big lead and basically remain up double digits for the entire game. We give them one long drive to get a touchdown, but then really what happened is at the end of the half, we kind of fell asleep. It was just really one big throw. You know, Eli Apple got beat on that. It's just poor technique on one play, and they go for a long touchdown. And then we have the punt, which was a low returnable punt. You know, and we didn't have Stanley Morgan in there. I'm not trying to make excuses, but if you really look at the game, they had seven points, but they got those ten points on just two small lapses. So if it's not as bad as it seems. I mean, that easily could have been a 35-7 game if, if we would have just buckled down in those last 39 seconds. So it would have been even more of a dominant win than it looked like. So when they come back, now they're within 11 points, but then we just shut them down in the second half, dominate, continue moving the ball, and don't let up any points in the second half. Not even, not just touchdowns, but no points whatsoever. All right, let's review some key plays in the game. Now, I mean, there's a lot of good plays, a lot of good throws by Burrow, which I'm going to go into in just a minute. But I just took three plays that I thought were the most important plays and the biggest plays of the game. So the first one, we have three wide receivers, a tight end, and a running back. We fake it to Mixon. And all three wide receivers basically run vertical routes. You know, Boyd kind of does a little bit of a post. Higgins does a little bit of a corner, but and, and Chase goes down the field. But they're all basically running vertical routes downfield. And what happens, the guy covering Boyd falls down. Burrow has plenty of time to survey the field because of good protection. And you give a guy like that time, he finds where the open receiver is and what's going on down there. And he hits him for a perfect in-stride 60-yard touchdown. Phenomenal big play. I always say, when you score fast like that, like a, a pick six on the first drive or a kick return to start the game or a long touchdown in the first couple plays, it's tough for teams to rebound. I, I, I never check the numbers on the winning percentage when those things happen, but I guarantee the winning percentage is high when you start a game 7 nothing, like in the first minute or two. Second big play, you have three wide receivers, but you have Chase by himself on the right side. All he does is he runs a go. I don't know what the safety over top was thinking. You have Jamar over there one-on-one. All the teams in the league know you don't do that and you help out over top. And the safety was in position to help out, but the safety got over late. And beautiful, contested catch, perfect throw in basically double coverage, even though it was late. They were saying that that was Joe Burrow's best throw of his career, or Jamar Chase said that, or one of the most improbable throws to have a completion on. Whatever it was, it was just so perfectly placed and hit him in stride and hit him. I mean, you're putting that ball in, into a shoebox down the field under pressure, and that's exactly what he did. But, man, bad safety play on that one, but great wide receiver and quarterback play on that one as well. All right, the third big play, we had a bunch formation on the right, and those guys are all like crossing and, and having deception to try to open things up. But you have Chase by himself on the left. Same thing. One-on-one with a corner, you have the safety up top. Perfect protection. Burrow throws Chase open on a back shoulder. So what happens is that if Chase would have ran the go, the corner's kind of there with him. Maybe the safety rolls over. But in this case, Burrow throws that back shoulder throws him open. Chase kind of gets away from the corner. Again, safety takes a bad angle tackling on Chase, and Chase just diagonally cuts towards the end zone and no one can catch him. Just an amazing run after catch from an amazing player. We're starting to get a taste for what he did last year, these last couple games. You know, it's starting to explode. This is feeling like that Super Bowl level team already. We all knew it was coming. A couple rough weeks to start. 
while the offensive line was struggling and we played some amazing pass rushers. But these last few weeks, it's looking like look out for the Cincinnati Bengals. And then you have Chase and Boyd dive into the stands, which I'm hoping you heard it first here. I have now called that, I have coined that, the Paycor Plunge. Not the Lambeau Leap, but the Paycor Plunge. Congratulations, Jamar Chase, and what a great game by you, Tyler Boyd, as well. Another thing I'd like to review is the first drive of the second half offensively, just to see what we're thinking in the locker room and the the new offensive strategy coming out of the locker room. So first play out of the half, four wides, Burrow passes to Higgins, who's uncovered for 22 yards. I, I don't. It wasn't even a route. It was just he ran straight. No one was on him, and Burrow flipped him the ball. Some run after the catch. Nice 22-yarder to start the, the second half. Second play, three wides, and you have Mixon going up the middle for five. Third play, five wides, and you do a quick stick route to Boyd on the left for five. So now, you know, we're, we're mixing things up. We have a Mixon run in there. The, the two passes were intended to be quick hitters, so they came out of, out of the locker room saying, you know, let's go at him with a couple quick hitters, a couple runs. And then, what, the fourth play, you have two tight ends in a bunch formation, and you have P. Ryan left for zero yards because we needed one yard. So now the play calling kind of goes out the window because it's it was a third and one and a fourth and one. So it's no more script. It's now, like, what do we do to get this yard? And they chose to do the P. Ryan run to the left, kind of up the middle, no yards. And then we do a five-wide receiver. It's a a jump ball to Higgins. No one was open on that play. That was the fourth and one to start the second half. And again, five wides, jump to Higgins, incomplete. So first drive stalls. And you really can't get a grasp on what we wanted to do there because we were immediately put in in a third and one, fourth and one. So we had to alter the script. All right, then another thing I'd like to go over are the sacks. So there were three sacks in this game, and then Burrow got hit another one or two times noticeably. But pretty good protection, and pretty good protection the last couple of games. And we'll talk about the offensive line individually in a minute. First sack, no one open. Joe's kind of trying to make things happen. Kappa gets beat by Jarrett Lee. Like, he held his block for long enough to get off a pass, but, you know, Joe was extending the play. Nothing there. So... Ultimately, that sack is on Kappa, but I think it was kind of a coverage sack as well. Second sack was was actually a good scheme by the Falcons, who I said didn't do a lot of creative blitzing, but in this case, they send an outside blitzer. Jonah picks up the closest guy to Burrow, lets the outside guy go, and I guess it was Volson's job to kick out and try to block him. Volson was late, and Burrow got popped on that one. That wasn't fun to see. So I'm not sure really if you scheme it up, if Jonah maybe should have kicked over and Volson should have gotten the inside guy, or they should have done what they did and, and had better execution. Not really positive on how that should have went, but either way, that was sack number two and a pretty nasty one. And then sack number three, the broadcasters were talking about how well Collins was playing, and I was saying that to myself too. I'm like, he's been playing amazing. Last week against Cam Jordan, and then this week, you know, just playing, whoever was on him, he was just blocking. And then as soon as they say it, and I'm thinking it, He's a little late on a linebacker getting in there, and Burrow gets sacked there. But aside from that, very solid game. And when Collins went down trying to block him, he got up, looked a little bit like an old man. So you could tell that back was bothering him at that point. So those are the three sacks, better than the sack numbers that were happening in the first couple games of the year. So, I mean, three is is even more than I'd like to see. But in this case, I'll take it and a great offensive effort. And I think the line really is playing well. And I have been critical of the line. I'm not going to say I haven't. You guys know it. I've been getting upset. I hate when Joe Burrow gets hit. 
but they've really been gelling the last couple weeks, and I'm, I'm hoping that it continues. And, and we got a big test coming next week with Miles Garrett as well. Okay, so let's move on to some individual performances. Joe Burrow, you guys know how I feel about him, and basically this game showed it. Give him time, and he's the best quarterback in the game. So many good, quick, accurate throws. And he was hitting Hurst a lot on just a lot of quick throws, quick decisions, quick hitters, getting the ball out of his hands fast. Hurst had a big game, lots of short catches, but just vital catches, first downs. So definitely using his tight end very effectively. Then he has the perfect long pass to Boyd, 50 yards in the air, just hitting him in stride. You know, seeing defender falls down, that immediately that ball's coming out. So just quick, decisive decisions, accurate passing, I always brag about Joe Burrow's attributes, but here I'm just listing good plays by him, and there, there's a ton. My favorite throw of the game, he gets forced out of the pocket. He's chased by two guys. He's running diagonally backwards, like away from the line of scrimmage, almost diagonally, creating more space and a longer throw. And what does he do? He throws like semi across his body and just flips it ahead of Mixon on the run for a 22-yard gain. It was the perfect throw. There was pressure he had to throw from an awkward position. He he made the throw a longer throw by scrambling away. And uh, just he let him, like, just this undroppable ball. It, it was the best throw of the game. And I hope you guys remember it. If not, go back. It's somewhere around the eight-minute mark of the first quarter. Just an amazing throw. Maybe I'll highlight that one on social media so you guys can see what I fell in love with on that. And then first quarter, perfect back shoulder throw to Chase. Um, leading Boyd perfectly to the front quarter of the end zone. That was a big throw. Like, Boyd is coming all the way across the field, and there's a very narrow window there before he goes out of bounds, and that's a hard throw to, to complete. And Burrow just gets it there a step before Boyd goes out of bounds, right at the goal line. And he, he did this twice, too, later in the game, throwing into the face of an unblocked blitzer. So he's got an unblocked guy coming right off the edge, right in his face, and he's able to get it off to his running backs. He got it to Mixon once for eight yards. He got it to Piran once for two yards. But it was like you couldn't believe that the defender didn't block it because he was like right in Burrow's face. So not only does Burrow avoid it getting batted down, but Burrow does his pirouette at the end so the guy doesn't run into him. Just this amazing athleticism. I, again, I talk about Burrow all the time, but really, like, watch this stuff. This is... It's not just a name. It's not just a LSU Joe Burrow and led the Bengals to the Super Bowl and Joe Burrow, Joe Burrow, hero, hero, hero. You watch these plays. It's it's amazing. We are very lucky to have a quarterback like this. And then you have the Boyd one-handed catch, an amazing catch by Tyler Boyd. But don't think that wasn't an amazing throw as well. A perfect lead, maybe a, a tad too much of a lead, but hey, Boyd was able to grab it. But those are the other kind of throws that I like. Over the first level of defenders and in front of the second level of defenders. That's that's if you've ever played quarterback, that is not an easy throw. It's it's another thing that you need to touch. You can't just lay it up there either because the the back guys are gonna come up and get it, but you can't have it too low on a line because the front guy's gonna tip it. So you just need just enough air underneath it, but not too much air where it takes too long to get there. And man, he he did it again. It was a perfect throw. So the catch was amazing, but the throw was just as amazing on that. And then he had the perfectly thrown TD pass to Chase in double coverage. Led him perfectly. You know, that's the one that, that they said was one of the hardest throws to complete. And Chase was saying that's the best throw that Burrow's ever thrown him. We talked about that play already. But again, look at that play. Amazing throw as well. 
get it there before the safety comes over, get it over the corner who's kind of all over Chase. Just high, high level quarterback play. And then he's been doing a lot of the back shoulder stuff, like the back shoulder touchdown to Chase. Chase was kind of covered, but he throws it back shoulder. And I started equating it to like a basketball point guard. And that's a common thing that they say about quarterbacks. You know, he's like a point guard distributing the ball to everybody. But in this case, it was just like the position of the pass. Like he threw it in a spot where it wasn't only catchable and indefensible, but he gave him the ability to do something after he caught it. And he's been doing, I've seen that Burrow's been doing that a lot lately. There was one pass to Higgins over the middle that he did that as well, where if he just would have led Higgins, he would have thrown Higgins into a hit. But instead, he put it just a little bit behind him, so Higgins was able to like turn around and and not just be led into a hit. You'd, you'd have to see the you have to see the play if, if you if you're wondering what I'm talking about. But I'm seeing this higher level play. It's not just hitting an open guy or hitting an open guy on the run. It's throwing it where the guy can do something after the catch and throwing it in a way where you're not putting guys in danger. I've been saying that about Joe Burrow for a long time. He doesn't put his receivers in danger very often, if ever. And these back shoulder throws and these placement throws, like the Higgins one especially, he's he's really helping these guys succeed after the catch and not get nailed. So again, another back shoulder throw to Boyd in the third quarter, another dart to Higgins in traffic down the middle, um, another throw where it's over the, f- the first level but under the second level. It just was happening all game. I mean, he had 30-something completions. We could probably talk about almost all of them as being something special. But those are the ones that really stood out to me, and that's a lot of good plays in one game. Some quarterbacks would be lucky to get one or two of those plays in a game, and, and Joe's like stacking up like these 15 high-level throws. Just amazing stuff. He gets the rushing touchdown underneath. And then at the end, he has the beautiful quarterback draw for 20 yards in the fourth quarter to get a first down and really help ice the clock. All right, on to running back. Mixon had a little bit of a slow start. It wasn't getting all the blocking up front. He was doing what he could. But then he kind of wore him down late, ended up with like 58 yards or so, so a decent day. You know, it, it looked better on paper than it was, but at the end, he really generated some yards and some first downs when we needed it. Big contributor in the receiving game. He had a couple nice catches for first downs that really helped at the time. And then his touchdown, he slips and still maintains his balance, ducks under a defensive tackle, and squeezes in from the one-yard line to have, to get a touchdown. Just a really good play by him. When he slipped in the backfield, I thought it was over. But, you know, these running backs, these high-level running backs, just have such a great sense of balance. And you saw that there with Joe Mixon, just a very, very high-level athlete. I know all these guys are, but that was a very high-level athlete play. Wide receivers. With Tyler Boyd, I think they saw something on film because they just found him early and often. I don't know... The, maybe it's a nickel corner situation with the Falcons or the way they scheme things up in, in their zone. And it, it was just, Boyd was just open all day. They had no answer for him. It wasn't just a coincidence that he was catching all those passes. I'm, I'm really thinking that we went in with the game plan of exploiting something that we saw on film. And it worked. He had over 150 yards. And it's good to see Tyler Boyd have a huge game. You know he's one of the big three. We all know he could be a number one on most teams. You know, sometimes he gets a little overshadowed by Chase and Higgins, but we know he's the man as well. You know, if you want to add other things in there, like we talked about, that long TD pass, the one-handed grab, another long pass down the left sideline. So just really great game out of Tyler Boyd, and congrats, my man. 
Jamar Chase, the back shoulder, the spinning grab, the end zone grab in traffic, the yards after catch touchdown, a few other catches, you know, 130 yards out of him. Even with his hip banged up, he's still making plays in the second half. Just, you know, we can go off on Jamar Chase's attributes, but we did a lot on Burrow. So we'll let this be the Joe Burrow episode, and we'll we'll give Jamar Chase praise in the future episodes where I'll break down every one of his catches, and we'll talk about just how great he is. Then you have Higgins, just a bunch of good clutch catches, a lot of first down catches. He's so good on those posts down the middle, but he's he's good on the out routes. He, he can just do it all. And, you know, in a game where we were focused on getting Boyd in action and we're always focused on Chase, Higgins was a little bit of an afterthought. He didn't have a lot of catches early, but, you know, as the game wore on, it was plenty of Higgins and he was doing plenty of damage. Hayden Hurst is that go-to receiver at tight end that we really never had for Burrow. You know, Uzama had an element of it, but he's not in the caliber of Hayden Hurst as a pass catcher. So he can, and, and Hurst continues to run hard after the catch. He's like an exciting player. He's so fired up out there and so happy to be a valued player because, you know, you, he got second fiddle in Baltimore. He got second fiddle in Atlanta. And here he's first chair on this team. So it's really good stuff. Happy that he's doing this well. And I'm predicting a big season out of him. And just another, you have the, the big three and Mixon. And now you have this intermediate threat that teams are having a hard time matching up with. So it's a deadly combination. And it's going to do well for us in the playoffs and beyond. Offensive line had a great game. I think Jonah had a really good game. I think Lyle Collins had a good game. Kappa and and Karras have been playing so solidly. And Volson, you're seeing progression every week. I know you can say that he missed the one block on the sack. And I know he had a false start. But he's getting better and better. And it's good. I mean, Jackson Carmen was on the inactive list. Like, that's how far ahead Volson is of our second-round pick from a couple years back. So really good job by all of them. You know, I've been the first one to get on them when they haven't played well, and I'm going to be the first one to congratulate them when they have played well, and they have the last couple weeks, and this week in particular. They just gave Burrow time to carve up the Falcons. All right, quickly, on to the defensive line. Hendrickson continues to be disruptive. He had a sack. He had that disruption of the third down screen the beginning of the game that's really good when you stop their first drive you know that's their scripted drive and if you just halt that on a third down play like that that's that's big and as we said he's disruptive he's everything that we want came out of the game with the stinger but you know I'm hoping that he's going to be back next week he's he's a major key to this defense Hubbard another good game and stacking up a pretty good season he had a batted ball on third down he had a, a, a big sack on third down. He was active in the run game. And those you want to play good on every down, obviously, but when you're making big plays on third down, you're really doing it for the team. And he had made several big plays on third down in this game and, again, continues to have a really good season. So, Sam, they paid you the money, and it looks like you're ascending, and hopefully you have a, a long, healthy career in stripes because you're, you're looking good right now, my friend. Osai had his first sack, so it took him seven games to get his first sack. Not as bad as you think. I was hoping that he'd be a little more active earlier in the year, but he's had a couple pressures up till now, and he was right there when Hubbard had the sack. So he got his first sack, and hopefully he builds off of it. But it's always nice to see Joseph Osai active. You know, you need as many pass rushers as possible, and he's not a guy that other teams are really game planning for, so he could be a real good secret weapon if he heats up down the stretch. 
And I like this J2 Fele. Just another guy off the waiver wire, an afterthought. He put together a good game last week. Put together a very good game this week. He had a tackle for a loss. Just very active, a good rotational player. So if he stays healthy, I can see him in that defensive line rotation, especially with Reader out in the interim. B.J. Hill continues to play well. Zach Carter, up a little up and down, but solid in there, and he's going to get more opportunities with the injuries. So you, you see improvement there, and he's going to be a solid rotational player, and hopefully he builds on this season and becomes a starting-level player next year. You know, we'll see what happens, but he's he's got the skill. He's getting the experience. So the ball's in your court, Zach. Keep it going. Keep improving. Keep studying film. Keep your body in shape. All the things I always say. Keep your head in the game. Make this your life right now. You know, these next 10 weeks plus playoffs, that's all that matters. Because the better you do, the better your family is going to be in the long run, the better your life's going to be in the long run. It's all right in your hands. You're a third-round pick. You got an opportunity on a very good team right now. So hit it. Last thing on the defensive line, I thought it was funny when you had Cam Sample covering Pitts. Before I saw the replay, I was like, wow, he, he stayed with him. You know, nice coverage. But then you see after that he was holding him the whole time. But what are you going to do? You know, you're a defensive end covering an elite receiver. And, you know, good good matchup by the Falcons. Maybe a little scheming error by us. But either way, hey, he didn't let up the touchdown, right? Linebackers, Davis Gaither was showing good range and speed. He was spying Mariota a little bit, and he had a nice tackle on a third down in the third quarter. So that was good. He's playing well. You knew he was going to get more time this week with Logan Wilson out. And I, I like to see him get more snaps because he needs more development. And he's showing up. You know, he had a couple negative plays in this game. But for the most part, he did the job. Every That's the other thing. Every linebacker is going to have negative plays because there's so much action at linebacker. You're going to miss tackles. You're going to take bad angles. You're going to get blocked by guards that you don't see coming. That's that's going to happen. So you're not going to grade out perfectly in every game. And G- Davis Gaither did not, but I thought he had a pretty good game. And Pratt continues to play solid. What I like about him is he, he's got speed and thump. And he's good in goal line situations. He's tenacious. He's always going for the strip. You know, the same Jermaine Pratt that we had last year, we're seeing this year. So a solid player and combine him with Logan Wilson. I'm hoping that they keep those guys in the building and there are linebackers for the next half a decade or more. And Marcus Bailey was active in there too. Same thing. You're not, you're not going to grade out to get 100 as a linebacker, but he made a couple nice plays. He, he ran down some ball carriers and the big one was he ran down the punt returner and saved a touchdown. Remember, punt returners are faster than linebackers and there he was hustling, taking the right angle and saving a touchdown right before the half. You know, that's a four-point swing right there. In this case, we had such a big lead, it didn't matter. But in a closer game, that could have saved the game. Defensive backs, Awuzie continues to have that silent Pro Bowl year, just covering anybody, anytime. He had the stop on Pitts at the goal line. That's a touchdown-saving stop. I know they scored later, but still, when it was his responsibility, he did not let the guy in the end zone. So good play there. And hopefully Awuzie does make the Pro Bowl because he certainly deserves it. And Eli Apple had a solid game. He made one real mistake, and it's glaring. You know, when you let up a big pass play and you're the guy chasing the guy down the field, yet yeah, it doesn't look good. And we all know that Bengal fans are very quick to jump on Eli Apple, but he, I thought he played very well aside from that mistake. And you saw Taylor Britt come in there. And that wasn't punishment for Apple letting up that play because Britt was in there before that touchdown play happened. So it was in the coach's strategy to 
break Taylor Britt in and get him a few snaps in this game, which was good. So that was not punishment on Eli. And Britt was active. He had three tackles. You know, this is kind of get your feet wet game because they're going to need him more as time goes by, especially if there's an injury. You know, they want to see what he has out there. They're going to trust him to lock down one side of the field eventually. And this was the first step in doing so. He did get faked out by Mariota on one scramble, but that happens and he'll learn from it. Hilton, solid game, active, making tackles in the backfield like usual. And he had that third down slap away from Pitts. That's a tough play when you're on a 6'5 plus tight end and you're like a 5'10 guy. It's really hard to get your body around them. They're just bigger, longer, stronger than you. And he did it right. He, he was able to cut in front at the right angle and slap that ball away. Magnificent play by Mike Hilton on a very big physical mismatch. Bates was rangy. He made a big play on a screen pass early. He had the big hit on Mariota. You know, he, he was there for, for everything. I mean, I guess the one play he was chasing down from the rear was the Eli Apple touchdown. Maybe he could have been in better position for that. But he had. I thought Bates had a very Jesse Bates-like game this game which is good to see. And then I want to go on to Von Bell and just talk about him for a minute. And normally in the past episodes, I'm going over the safeties and, you know, I'm just saying a quick sentence about Bates and a quick sentence about Bell typically because they're solid, you know, good plays, whatever. But I was really thinking about it. He's he's invaluable to this defense. His contributions are so underrated. And if something happens to him, it's a big hole to fill because I saw him fill so many roles in this game. I saw him be a spy on the quarterback. You see him covering pits. You see him down in the box, you know, getting ready to, to help against the run. You see him in, in the goal line, multiple plays, being active and getting in the backfield. You see him for a tackle for a loss on, on a big running back, you know, a tough-to-bring-down running back who had him by, you know, 20, 30 pounds. So all those things. He's so versatile. It, you know, you, you just think, oh, he's just a big thumper there back there at safety. But they use him in so many different ways, and he's such a good leader. So I just want everyone to take note on what Von Bell's been doing for us and his contributions. Because if he goes down, I don't know what they would do. Is it a matter of now Dax Hill comes in and now you have like two free safety types and you don't have that thumper safety? I don't know, Mike Thomas? I'm not sure what what they would really do if, if something happened to Bell. So let's hope that nothing happens to Bell. All right, then lastly, special teams. Evan McPherson, perfect as always. Five extra points, no problem. Adam Midas, I'm saying he's been very solid. Not perfect, but very solid. So no complaints there, no unplayable snaps. Let him get on a big streak like Clark Harris, and we'll be fine there. Trent Taylor had a couple nice punt returns. You know, anything 10-plus yards on a punt return is, is a big advantage, and he did that, I believe, three times in this game. So good job out of him. He didn't get the yips from the fumble last week. So it's nice to see him back to normal. And I'm glad they didn't hold it against him. Everyone makes mistakes. We know that. Chris Evans had a rough time returning kicks. And I'm going to say this from what I noticed. Because I went back and I was like, wow, he didn't really break any kicks. Wasn't really special in one of his only chances to return kicks all year. And I was like, what happened? And I think he was a little slow in his get-offs. I think on at least two of them... He caught the ball and just hesitated for a second to see what was downfield. And I think really you want to kind of get the ball on the move or at least get the ball and move right away and then analyze the field. I think he did it backwards. I think he took a second to analyze it, almost like a punt return, and it caused him to not really 
not even get back to the 20 on a couple of them. And no Stanley Morgan this game, and you wonder if that's what contributed to that long punt return. It really was a low punt by Huber. You know, when you it, sometimes they say you outkick your coverage, or in this case, the ball gets there too fast, and there's not enough hang time for your guys to get there. So that's really what I felt happened on that play. But, uh, you know, Huber came back and had another couple decent punts in the game. So, you know, one low punt, no Stanley Morgan in there. You know, maybe you can see why they had a big return on that. So that's it. Here we go. On to four and three, and we're hitting our stride just like last year. You know, we had a little bit of rockiness last year with that Jets game and the Browns game and, you know, a couple times in the season where it was like, ah, maybe this isn't our year. And all of a sudden, we just hit a point where it's like, wow, no one's going to beat us right now. And I'm kind of feeling that. So, you know, we'll we'll see what happens. But I got a good feeling about this team. AFC North standings. The Bengals are currently 4-3 and three and tied with the 4-3 and three Ravens. They're ahead of the third place Browns at 2-5 and five and the fourth place Steelers at 2-5. and five. The Bengals are also the eighth seed in the AFC. Week 8 preview, Cincinnati Bengals at Cleveland Browns. Ah, the 2-5 and five Browns. The 2-5 and five dangerous Browns. The 2-5 and five Browns that are a tough matchup for us. The 2-5 and five Browns that are a better team than their record shows. And I think Jacoby Brissett is really killing them out there. So an important game for us. A loss would put us 0-3 in the division. You know, even if we battle out with the Ravens and, you know, end up right at the top with them, you don't want to lose the tiebreaker by having a poor divisional record. So this is a pretty big game for us to win. And you want to win your divisional matchups. And it's a road game, too. So there's a lot stacked up against us if you think about it. The Browns are underachieving. Tough matchup. On the road. So it's not a given that we're just going to blow away the Browns. Just like it's not a given, it wasn't a given that we were going to beat Pittsburgh week one. With that said, I think that we're striding at the right time right now. And we will get past them. But it's not going to be as easy as it looks on paper. So when we're on offense, the main problem is Miles Garrett. He is public enemy number one. He's a Bengal killer. He's got Jonah's number. I'm seeing him line up more on the other side this year, so hopefully he's going to be on Collins so Collins can work with him, but I'm sure he's going to be moving around. But he is the key to this game. And they have Jadavion Clowney, you know, got a couple dirty hits on Burrow last year, so he's not on the top of my friend list. But he's another one. You know, you got two quality defensive ends to worry about, but Garrett is a game wrecker. And that could be, that's the games that we were vulnerable in, even though we only lost by late field goals in both of them. The game where you had like a TJ Watt out there and the game where you had a Micah Parsons. And now there's a game where you have a Miles Garrett. So this is the same formula as those two teams that gave us trouble, a dominant pass rusher that you have no answer for. So we have to figure out an answer for this guy if we want to win this game. Then Awusa Koromoa and Taki Taki at the linebacker position, they're going to give you trouble. They're hard hitters. Koromo was a little bit dirty last year with Burrow, too. So, you know, these guys definitely know what makes the Bengals tick and want to really take Joe Burrow's head off. So you got to worry about all these guys. That's going to be a major part of this game plan is protecting Joe Burrow, just like it is every week. But these guys are bringing a little more than the Falcons brought, unfortunately. 
You have Newsom on the outside, but he goes to the slot in the three wide receiver set, so you'll see him there a lot. And he's having a decent year, not as good as last year, but he's a good corner. Martin Emerson seems to be playing better than all of them, so that's a threat out there on the other side. And then you have Greedy Williams, too, who's you know a high pick in the draft and someone who's had a decent career. So they have three very functional corners, and that's assuming Denzel Ward doesn't play with that concussion, and I don't think he's going to. And the safety position, John Johnson's a thumper back there. Delpit's not having a great year, but he's got the physical skills and can make big plays. So they have a good secondary. They have some tough linebackers. They have some good edge rushers and pass rushers. Not an easy task to face this defense, even though the Browns' defense is in the lower half, both against the pass and the run. How do we attack this team? You have to scheme up on how to keep Garrett off of Burrow no matter what it is. And, you know, it's all the, the usual things, right? Is it going to be a chip? Is it going to be an H-back in the backfield? Is it going to be a running back helping out? Is it, are you going to double-team him constantly? Like, take your pick of standard formulas there, whichever one you're going to do. I mean, get the ball out quick. Roll away from where he's at. There's so many different things, and I'm sure the coaching staff will figure out the best things that work, but that's what you have to do. Number one plan on offense, don't let Miles Garrett wreck the game. And you want to see Mixon and Hurst get involved. You know, you want to exploit that middle of the field a little bit. You want to challenge those safeties. You want to challenge Delpit a little bit. Maybe some Tyler Boyd there. And then the other thing is you don't want to just say, well, Newsom, Emerson, and Williams, or even Ward, whoever's in there, are good corners. So, you know, we can't we can't throw at those guys. No, get that out the window. With these wide receivers and this quarterback, we can throw at anybody. And we've shown that. So whether it was Xavier Howard or whether it was Marlon Humphrey or Peters, or you, you just throw in whatever corner you want here. I don't... You want to put Chase on Emerson? You want to put Greedy Williams on Higgins? You want to put Newsom on Boyd? Like, I'll take any one of those matchups, even though those Browns guys are good. So that's the other thing that I would say is, don't be afraid of the Browns corners. If you have the time to throw, throw at them. And again, let's start the game off with some quick throws so Burrow doesn't get teed off on early. And we'll use the quick throws and the run and the running back passes and tight end passes to set up stuff down the field. That's my suggestion for a game plan. Defensively, Nick Chubb has been a Bengal killer, just like Miles Garrett when we're on offense. So it's going to be stop Chubb, stop Hunt, just major running backs that can control a game. You know, Garrett's ranked number one at defensive end on pro football focus, and I'm tired of saying that word, but it's true. I mean, it has some validity to it, and Chubb is number two. And they got two offensive linemen, like Batonio's number one, the center's number three. So they have some really good players all over the squad. And like I always say, that comes from years of picking early in the draft. It finally rolls around where you have a very talented roster, and the Browns do. Except I don't totally believe in their wide receivers, and that's a problem in our division. The Ravens don't have a great wide receiver corp. And I don't think the Browns do either. Amari Cooper, yes, but with Brissett throwing to him, he hasn't put up big numbers. Peoples-Jones is a threat, obviously, and a deep threat. But same thing. And David Bell in the slot. You know, none of those guys are scaring me right now. Could Cooper light it up? Yeah, I guess. Could Peoples-Jones get a big catch or two? Yeah. But I'm not fearful of, of that core, especially with the way our secondary has been playing. Offensive line, as we said, they got the good left guard. They got the good center. Wyatt Teller's banged up, but he might be in there. Conklin's back, a little banged up. Jarek Wills, it's just a very good offensive line. 
so they can control the line of scrimmage and they're not facing our first defensive line you know with reader out and you know they're going to be facing a few backups in there so so that with that quality offensive line they could be getting some good push on us and it could be a nightmare stopping the running game and you know they're going to want to possess the ball I think teams are going to be approaching that with let's get time of possession on the Bengals so Joe Burrow doesn't have time to carve us up so with all that said strategy defensively you sell out to stop Chubb and Hunt and let Brissett try to beat you up top. And it's not as easy as it sounds. You could sell out to stop Chubb and he can still eat you up, especially Logan Wilson's probably not going to be in there too. This is a big test for some of our backups and for our coaching staff to say, hey, we're going to finally figure out and crack the Chubb code and we're going to sell out Bill Belichick style and not let this guy beat us. And then on top of that, you just let Awuzie lock up one side, take your chances on the other side. I think we'll be decent in the slot with our safeties helping out there. So that's really just the big thing is don't let Chubb beat you. Don't let Miles Garrett beat you. And if that happens, Bengals 27, Browns 23. That'll do it for this episode. Next episode will be a review of the Browns game and a preview of the Panthers game. And we're going to welcome in some special guests as well. I'd like to thank at Bengals Highlights on Instagram, the best page out there. Really cool highlights, really cool music. Definitely something you should check out. Thank you for listening to the unofficial Bengals podcast. This is your host, Frank LaPlaca, and I'm a Bengals fan for life. The unofficial Bengals podcast.